0: you bonnie and linda now i'm thinking about it libby asked if any of them could have a pony and i said no but then benny asked can i have an actual airplane i said if you get it rich enough so i should have said that to her too i feel like an airplane would be more expensive than a pony (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe not (laughs) easier to take care of maybe (laughs) i don't know um Oh yeah, by the way, if anyone wants to join Mike and I up here, and then they can sing their favorite songs, let me know. <laughs> we're always hiring <laughs> Mike and I for worship assistant. Um, Alright, so besides that, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter 21. And we're going to start with verse 22, but before we do that, I'm um, just a uh, quick recap of what happened last time. Um, If we remember last time, we learned about the finally, the birth of Isaac, and how Isaac, who had been promised to Sarah, especially and to Abraham, um, finally came into existence. God finally visited Sarah as he had promised. He finally gave her, the child Isaac, laughter. Um, But along with that came that family tension because previously to Isaac coming, Ishmael, was in the fray. And so who's going to get the inheritance? Who is going to win it all? Um, and under certain circumstances, Sarah saw uh, Ishmael picking on Isaac, doing something to Isaac, and it made her angry. And God agreed with her that send Hagar and Ishmael away. But as we found out, God protects even Hagar and Ishmael, despite uh, Ishmael not being part of the chosen line. Um, and it reminds us, too, that you know, God does take care of us when we're in our wildernesses. So now we come to the next uh, next phase in the story, uh, in 21 in particular, and we'll talk about Abimelech now, who comes back into the scene. So starting with verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me hereby, God, that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants or with my posterity but as I have dealt kindly with you so you will deal with me and the land where you have sojourned and Abraham said I will swear So first uh, verse 22 begins with our dear friend Abimelech and his commander Pheloc visiting Abraham We're unsure whether this this time statement, or at that time statement reference means uh, in the general time frame of Isaac's weaning, or literally during the weaning celebration. Uh, It could be understood in this way, since as we saw last week, Abraham, he held a feast for the event. Um, So it would not surprise us if Abimelech and one of his subordinates came to that event. Regardless, at some point around the same time frame, Abimelech and Phicol come to Abraham uh, in order to declare a treaty. We notice Abimelech speaks plainly. He knows Abraham's blessings have come from God and as such gives glory first to God uh, before he even goes to Abraham. But what does this treaty uh, contain? Well, it first begins with an oath. In particular, the oath begins on the foundation of God himself. An oath on the declaration of God would mean serious repercussions for those who would break that oath. Likewise, since it was God who was Blessed Abraham so greatly to swear to make an oath by God reminds us that it is God's who will uh, revenge if the oath is broken. Part of the oath deals with being truthful. Abraham had previously lied concerning his relationship with Sarah. As it is, this has caused Abimelech to not place a great amount of trust in Abraham. And as such, the oath is that Abraham will not deal falsely with Abimelech or his people. Indeed, Abraham is reminded of Abimelech's kindness to him, and as such, that lays a further foundation for the treaty to be signed. Yet it is not only in this, we notice how the future is also involved. Abimelech is concerned not only with himself, but also with his descendants. He seems aware enough of God's blessing to recognize even if Abraham has one child, it will be enough. Thus, Abimelech remains convinced that God is for Abraham, and as such, it is better to make a treaty for all of their sakes, especially his. Ultimately, Abraham agrees to the oath and treaty with a simple and curt, I will swear. Despite all that has occurred between them, it seems a logical choice to accept this rather than to reject it. Though it does make us wonder, how come Abimelech was such fanfare came to this uh, treaty declaration concerning the treaty oath? Meanwhile, Abraham's response is so modest at best. Well, the answer is in what follows. And we'll read uh, 25 to the end of the chapter. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I don't, do not know what, "...who has done this thing? You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today." So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven lambs of the flock apart. But Abimelech said to Abraham, "...what is the meaning of these seven lambs that you have set apart?" He said, "...these seven lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well." Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a Tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham surged many days in the land of the Philistines. All right, so now we can better understand the terseness of Abraham's reply. He is concerned over the fact that at one point he had built a well in which Abimelech's people had seized. We notice the term "seize" here rightly portrays the event. They took it forcefully. As with the case with Sarah, Abimelech was unaware that such an event even transpired between Abraham and his people. In other words, Abimelech is maintaining his innocence. He did not tell anyone to seize the well, nor did he even know that anyone had at that point even seized the well from Abraham. Upon hearing Abimelech's explanation, Abraham continues with the treaty, or as the text says, the covenant. Under normal circumstances, there would be animal sacrifice or given to show the legitimacy of the covenant which had been made. Abraham does so by offering sheep and oxen, and as such, each made the covenant. Yet it is not only this. Abraham also sets aside seven ewe lambs. Am I saying that right, David, Ewe. Good, just making sure, because he always critiques me at the end. you didn't say that right oh sorry Um, um apart from the rest of the sheep and oxen this is one of the many times the term sheba is seen throughout the text as it can mean both oath and covenant and the number seven still despite this we are left to wonder along with abimelech why these extra why are the seven set apart Thankfully, neither we nor Abimelech must wait long for an explanation. The reasoning behind it is that through this added offering, Abraham would recognize the fact that, or uh, Abimelech would recognize the fact that Abraham had uh, dug the well. As such, the well would be under Abraham's jurisdiction and essentially belong to him. Abimelech accepts the added terms and conditions, and as such, both swear an oath and ratify the covenant. From this point, the name of the place is named Beersheba, which scholars debate its meaning either to mean uh, the well of seven O's, the well of oaths, or the well of seven. Eventually, it seems to be renamed later on in Genesis, and we'll see that, um, yet in this chapter, it is vague. After this, Abimelech and his commander Fico returned to their home with, as the text describes, uh, was the area of the Philistines. Some hold this to be an addendum added later to the text, since the Philistines were not, at least during the time of Abraham, a very populous people group living in that area. Um, thus, it would be akin to us saying that prior to coming to uh, America, European uh the European countries coming to America, Native American tribes lived in Pennsylvania or New York. Um, During that time period, such states did not exist, but by defining it in this way, it allows us to know the location. Um, Though some have recently argued that Feichel himself may have been an early Philistine, that is, an early Aegean arrival, uh, but this is speculation. So we're not really sure exactly what it means for the Philistines to be mentioned here. We then learn... What Abraham does after the fact. First, he plants a tree. It is debated the significance of this planting of the tree. Some hold that the tree here is symbolic in significance. That is, it represents God's blessing. Others hold that it may represent his own statement or mark to show that this well belongs to him. Others see it in line with offering. Uh, Ultimately, we cannot be sure of the exact nature of the uh, digging of the tree. Still, it is not only that he plants a tree, he also praises God. He called on the name of the Lord, God Everlasting. Moses tells us that the patriarchs were not given the actual name of the Lord, which is Yahweh, uh, which would explain why they often proclaim to him in more generic ways, such as El and Elion. When it comes to God Everlasting, it comes from the Hebrew word El Elom. In this sense, Abraham praises God for his continued blessing and his providence. Abraham recognizes that the treaty will allow him and his family a peaceful place to exist, um, and recognize God as the sustainer of all these things. We conclude by seeing how Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines. Thus, as a minor note, Abraham continued to remain peacefully in the land. Here he had everything he might need to continue to prosper. Land, water, and peace. All right. The main point of these verses are to establish a covenant made between Abraham and Abimelech. Abimelech, recognizing God is certainly with Abraham, desires a peaceful existence between the two of them. As such, Abraham agrees, and along with a minor tweak, uh, Abraham getting back is important. Well, the two make a covenant of peace with one another. Ultimately, though, God is seen as the one who is providing, as Abimelech and Abraham both recognize God in the circumstances. One who has to wonder, um, or one has to wonder, what could go wrong for Abraham at this point in the story? He has his son, he has land, he has water, and he has peace. What could possibly go wrong? And in two weeks, you'll find out. (laughs) Suspense. Dun-dun-dun. I know, I could write movies. Anyway, um, alright, so when it comes to this passage, one of the main emphases is the idea of peace. Peace between Abraham and Abimelech. Peace between their future generations. Yes, peace is seen here, and it is a good thing that it's seen. It is all, It almost all falls apart, doesn't it? In some ways, there were two things which had blocked the peace. The first was Abraham's past, showing himself to be a liar. As such, Abimelech first wanted to deal with the idea of Abraham treating him fairly, and in all honesty, um, wouldn't we all have come to the same conclusion and asked the same oath, knowing Abraham's history as being quite the liar? Likewise, another deterrent of peace was something which had been on Abimelech's part, whether he knew it or not, which is that some of his servants had taken the well Abraham had dug. Thus, Abraham desired something just as Abimelech did. Abimelech wanted Abraham to deal honestly with him, and Abraham wanted Abimelech to give him the well he had dug. Ultimately, an ultimatum was, in fact, reached. Abraham did take the oath, and Abimelech did give Abraham uh, the well back. Once both sides had received what they had desired in the situation, a treaty could be reached, and with that treaty then comes peace. I suspect, in all of this, we can see a glimpse of ourselves. How often is it the case... That something that we do causes us to not have peace with those around us. Maybe you say something a little harsher than you needed to. Maybe you lied to someone like Abraham had done. Maybe you stole from someone. Uh, Maybe you failed. Maybe they failed and did all these things. So many different scenarios which can take away peace between individuals. Um, And in all of these cases, the number one reason for peace being taken away from them Is the fall. It comes from sin. Indeed, it was a sin on Abraham's part that caused Abimelech to have concerns. It was his lying nature that he could so easily lie to save his own skin, so to speak. Likewise, it was theft on the part of Abimelech's people. They forcefully took the well, they stole it. Thus, a theft and a lie placed a wedge between peace. We shouldn't be surprised at finding this to be the case. Indeed, when we remember how destructive sin is, how it breaks all relationships around us, then one of the natural casualties would be peace itself. The question we ask is, how do we get peace back? How is it possible for us to find peace in the midst of so much sin around us, uh, so much destructiveness? Is it even possible for us to find true peace amongst each other, knowing how deeply we hurt ourselves and how deeply we hurt each other? Indeed, the prophet even speaks of this when he says, "The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treats them, uh, who no one, no one who treats on them knows peace." Isaiah fifty nine eight. Thankfully for us, the text does provide an answer that we read today in Genesis. We notice that it is not so much that Abimelech fears Abraham per se. No, Abimelech recognizes that Abraham is blessed by God. God personally intervened on Abraham's behalf twice now since Abimelech had met Abraham. The first time with Sarah and now the second time with the birth of Isaac. As such, Abimelech is able to see the blessing of God on Abraham, and that causes him to want to have peace with such an individual as this. Now, the second way we see this is Abraham's response as well. Um, We notice that he calls God El Elom. I said El Elion on there, but that's wrong. El Elom. And that is God everlasting. What an interesting thing to say after a treaty has been signed with Abimelech, isn't it? Not only a treaty which um, Abimelech the king, but all of his descendants as well. How is it possible that Abraham uh, to uphold such a covenant, or even Abimelech? Well, they personally would be unable to, since they will be individuals who eventually perish and return to the dust. The only one who could possibly uphold the treaty is God himself. The one on whom the oath is sworn. It is because God is everlasting that such treaties, such covenants can be made. It is only because God is limitless and beyond all that the covenant can be upheld between the two peoples because God will not forget what he has borne witness to. Thus it is possible for us to find peace, not just any peace, but permanent peace in God. When we come to acknowledge the creator of the universe, then we can find the greatest of peace through him who gives it. Yet we must be cautious, for it is possible to find a peace which is not a peace. Consider what the prophet Ezekiel proclaims. Therefore says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehoods and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with the whitewash, that it shall fall. There shall be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. Ezekiel thirteen eight through 11 Now in this passage of Ezekiel, we see the prophets were giving false testimony. They were telling the people that they had peace. But in truth, there was no real peace, because they had no peace with their God. They have said from the Lord, when in fact the Lord has not said. Indeed, a similar statement is made by the prophet Jeremiah when he proclaims, How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the Lord, the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust grain gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And that comes from Jeremiah 8, 8-12. Again, in this passage of Jeremiah, we see the same concept. There are lies, deceptions, there's greed, there's injustice, there's unrighteousness, there's abominations, and all the while the people were told, Peace. Peace under such circumstances is not an eternal peace. It's far from it. It's not even peace at all. Thus, we need to be cautious of a false peace. A false peace in which God is not part of. A false peace is that which is willing to sacrifice righteousness, justice, and truth for the sake of peace. Such a peace is not a lasting peace, but instead is a Peace built with the finest of sand. And when the storm comes, such a peace will be destroyed. Because of this, we need to find a more lasting peace. And the only lasting peace comes not from us simply seeking peace itself, but seeking God, the giver of peace. For even if we were to make peace with this world, for example, what would, we, what would it gain us if we had no peace with God? Throughout the scriptures, we are reminded of this, that to find peace with the world is to have enmity and strife with God, just as the prophets warn. And as such, there is truly no peace when this is the case. Indeed, Christ himself makes such a proclamation when he says, Do you not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 34-39. Harsh words. Christ reminds us of the necessity of peace with God It is not enough to be at peace with others just for the sake of peace Peace itself will never bring comfort but peace coming from God provides all comfort all encouragement and all blessing The question is how do we find such peace Where can we find such this peace What can we do to attain this peace Unfortunately, there is nothing that we can do. Like Abraham and Abimelech, we must recognize that any peace will have to come from God alone. Thus, we remember this text from Isaiah. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to this his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 4-6. through 6. Notice how Isaiah, he claims that it is because of him, this individual, that we find our peace and find our sins and iniquities taken away. Who is this? Who was this prophecy looking forward to? The answer is Christ Jesus. As the author of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is Christ. He is the one who has come. He is the one whose blood has been spilled and in whose blood the covenant rests. It is through him that God has delivered peace to us. Because of what Christ has done, we have it. Because of what Christ has done, we can live for the glory of God, seeking righteousness, justice, mercy, holiness, and the peace for the glory of our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. He is the one who has accomplished this. He has done it. Thus, it should not surprise us that Christ in the Gospel of John says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Rise, let us go from here. John 14, 27-31. In these verses, we reflect on the fact that Christ gives peace. He gives peace where the world is unable to give it. In all of who we are, there is peace with our God. Only through God can such peace be given. For it cannot come by our blood-stained hands. As it is, God has done it. He has accomplished it through his son. Let us not falter now. There will be many who tell us to compromise on our faith for the sake of peace. There will be many who tell us we can't proclaim Jesus because the world will reject us. There will be many who say, we must do this or that in order to win the world. I say, let us not grieve our God, but instead, let us seek peace with him above peace with the world by being faithful to him. Faithful in the proclamation of the gospel of Christ Jesus, the very truth on which we stand. There is so much in us that would rather compromise than continue on in the faith. There is so much which we believe could be done for our society and for the world. If only we didn't proclaim the name of Jesus. Yet we fail to realize that in the end, no true peace can come except from God. And this peace is made manifest in our lives the more we cling to Jesus. It is when we compromise Christ, then a false peace comes into our lives, into our families, And into our culture. And this kind of peace is no peace at all. But it's like the peace of those who whitewash the wall. Does this scare us? That's all right. For this is what Christ says to us. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's hear that again. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Say it with me. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. Have no fear, beloved. Christ has overcome the world. If the world will not have peace with us, so be it. We lose nothing. But if through Christ we have peace with our God, we have Everything. So this is what we must say. We are to seek peace, but let it not compromise the faith. Seek peace, but let it not cost us righteousness, holiness, or truth. First and foremost, seek a peace which only comes from God, through Christ Jesus, and know the greatest of peace now and forever, and let that overflow into the world. so from this story in abimelech and abraham you know it can be kind of hard for us to see how christ is involved even here and i think he is though i think i think we do see elements of christ though it's you know it's a treaty (laughs) who thought oh jesus is there um he is So, but before we get to that point, let's go to the origins facts. You know, the truth is that the gospel of Christ begins with our origins. We can't start anywhere else. It is the gospel of Christ that begins with the fact that we are created in the image of God. Um, In Sunday school, we're talking about how uh, the worldview right now that most of us are facing is this idea of naturalism which basically says we are machines and nothing more. You are products of time plus matter plus chance, and because of that, what's the reality of who you are as a person? Nothing. You have no dignity or worth in such a world as that. But with the Christian gospel, we find our origins is not in the fact that we are just a mere automaton or a machine. No, we are made in the image of God. We have been designed by God to bear his image. Thus, each person has dignity, worth, sanctity to life. And it's wonderful. And we celebrate and we rejoice over the fact that we have been created with the image of God on us. And then the fall happens. And we act like Abraham (laughs) by lying to cover ourselves. We act like Abimelech's people. Hey, you're on our land. We're going to take that away from you. You might not even be on our land. We don't care, we're still gonna take it because we want it. Why do we do these things? Why do we hurt each other so deeply? Why is it in us to not only hurt each other but hurt ourselves with addictions, with immorality? Why do we keep on taking a knife and stabbing ourselves? It's sick. We're broken. Sin destroys and yet we cling to it as though it gives life when all it gives is death. And that's the problem. Whenever we sin, we have guilt. Not a feeling of guilt. Not a feeling of, oh, I've done something wrong. A true guilt before a judge. And because of that, the judge of all must pronounce a sentence. And that sentence... That judgment is death itself, the separation of body and soul. So the question is what can we do about this? How do we fix what has happened? How do we fix what we've destroyed with our own hands? How do we say to God, to each other, peace? How do we get it again? Thankfully for us, we don't have to repair ourselves. Because even if we were to try to hold the tools to do it, we just drop the tools. Christ has come. Christ has come. He has overcome the world. He has overcome the blood on your hands that nailed him to a tree. He has overcome all that we have broken. And he says, I will redeem it. I will redeem you. And thus, through his life, death, and resurrection, we find redemption for sin. Ultimately, we kind of see a redemption aspect, don't we, in Abraham and Abimelech, and the fact that both were able to concede they had messed up before God. (laughs) Interesting that God is the key player in that. And so when it comes to redemption, our redemption does not come by our feeble hands, but comes from God Almighty. And that's how we know that the redemption is true. That's how we know that the redemption has eternal consequences. That's how we know that in the end, it will last. And when Christ says, I have overcome the world, and when he says, have peace, we can have peace. And not just a simple kind of peace, not the peace of, oh, I feel peace, but truly eternal peace with God. That's what we get. How awesome. And ultimately, that peace leads us to the glorification when all that which is causing us to trip and stumble in sin is burned away, so to speak. Maybe not burned, washed. And in the end, what remains is beautiful again because of what Christ has done. He's leading us into a better place. Let's not compromise now. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much because you are the God of peace. You are the God who has come into our world through your son, Jesus Christ, and through his life, death, and resurrection, you have given us a peace which is lasting, a peace which continues on and on forever. And that peace on us individually not only is dealing with our own personal sins but it even overflows onto each other and it overflows onto the world around us it's a redemptive peace and so lord we ask that we would be vessels of this peace we ask that we would be individuals who seek out the peace with god without compromising any of the rest The world is in need of us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Because it's through you we have peace. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would know this peace and that we would continue to dwell in it. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn together.